Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life Podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. I'm your host, Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. Every two weeks, I connect with PMMs all over the world about a product marketing topic of their choice. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Patrick Wall, Director of Competitive Intelligence at Imperva. Pat started his career in sales engineering, learning firsthand what it takes to close a sale. After partnering on a deal with product marketing, however, he quickly discovered his new calling, which was, you guessed it, product marketing. Pat then spent the next seven years learning the ropes, eventually rising to the director role. Throughout that time, he uncovered yet another passion. This time, it was competitive intelligence, a world he has now fully committed himself to at Imperva. Imperva is the comprehensive digital security leader on a mission to help organizations protect their data and all paths to it. Imperva protects all digital experiences from business logic to APIs, microservices, and the data layer, and from vulnerable legacy environments to cloud-first organizations. During our chat, Pat and I discuss how being in sales and product marketing prepared for a career in competitive intelligence, what to prioritize when launching a CI program, and finally, what good enablement material looks like and how to develop it. Now, before I get into the episode, I've got some exciting news to share from the Product Marketing Alliance. Are you wondering how to align the product marketing function at your organization? Do your internal teams have little to no understanding of what product marketing is and the benefits you bring to the fore? Are you sick of being misunderstood? Product Marketing Alliance's brand new book, Misunderstood, features firsthand knowledge, techniques, and case studies to help you demystify product marketing, elevate the function, and gain the recognition you and your fellow PMMs deserve. Learn how to effectively communicate the value you bring to key processes such as positioning, personas, segmentation, OKRs, and gain supplementary intel from the likes of Privy, G2, Hotjar, Intercom, Zendesk, Adobe, and Drift. Misunderstood is packed with takeaways that will propel the value of your role and the overall importance of the PMM function and isn't to be missed. Get your copy at pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. That's pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. All right, with that out of the way, let's do it. Hey, Pat, how's it going? I'm doing great. You know, happy Friday. You know, I'm so excited to be here. Talk about product marketing competition. It's a great way to start the Friday off. Awesome. Likewise, couldn't agree more. Well, let's get right into it then. It would be fantastic if you tell our listeners a little bit more about your career journey so far and what it is you do at Imperva. Sure, absolutely. So I've, I've actually had a really interesting career uh, journey. Um, I started out as a sales engineer um, in software. So I was actually, that was my first forte in software, doing analytics at a company called Tipco Spotfire. And it was great to be a sales engineer, especially in analytics realm, because I got to walk into massive companies, large pharmaceuticals, CPG banks, and kind of teach them how to, you know, use analytics and understand their business more, understand their data. So as a young individual and as a sales engineer, it was great to learn all these different companies and how their data and businesses are different. Um, interesting role was what happened was I was really good at building reports. The product marketing team came over and said, hey, Pat, you're really good at building these reports. We have all this data in Salesforce. It's a mess. We can't, we don't have any good reporting dashboards. I'm like, can you help me out? I'm like, wow, these girls and guys in product marketing are pretty cool. We started working together and then I'm like, hey, I want to make this switch. So I made the switch over to product marketing. I've never looked back. Um, and then I did product marketing over the years for different companies, um, you know, smaller companies and larger companies. And it was great because, you know, you got to be part sales, part marketing, part product. But something that will always pulled towards me from my sales engineering background was competitive intelligence. I always was like, how do we enable sales to be better at competitive intelligence? And it was really great. So then I decided, hey, let's take it. Let's go even further in niche and 
do competitive intelligence with an under product marketing. Um, and I got to do that at some great companies, Oracle, Neo4j, and now I'm over at Perva. Um, and at Perva, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm heading up the competitive intelligence org there. Um, if you're not familiar with Perva, it's an application data security company in cybersecurity. So a very competitive space with a lot of different competitors and a lot of funding, and a lot of new competitors every day. So it's really great to actually be part of the competitive intelligence org here and help to understand, hey, how are we going to help our sales be enabled across the organization, but how can we also help other parts of the organization, whether it's product or marketing or, you know, legal or HR, we helping to make, helping to enable everyone um, at a perfect on competition is what gets me excited. That's awesome, Pat. Thanks for sharing that. And before we get a little bit deeper into that jump from product marketing to competitive intelligence and the relationship between the two, I want to take a step back earlier in your career and just briefly touch on that jump from sales into product marketing. And I've chatted with a number of product marketers, you know, current or former, who have made a similar jump from sales into product marketing. And I've asked this question before, but I'd like to hear the different answers. What was it or what were the skills that you developed in sales that you felt made you a better product marketing manager? Well, I think it's it's understanding sales too, right? So I think as a product marketer, you know, sometimes we build we build uh, information and collateral and enablement for sales, and they're like, "Oh, the sales guys never use it. Like, you can't believe it." Well, when you're when you have sales background and especially sales engineering background, you can have you can kind of be in that step and say, "Okay, well, how, if I'm going to build something, why are they going to use it? What's the benefit for them? How is this going to make them close business easier so that you know everyone wins, right?" And so it's kind of taking that aspect and saying, Hey, I've done this before in sales. I've done this in sales engineering. I want to become a partnership, not just a funnel of here, here's information and use it. It's more of, Hey, what do you need? Why do we need this? How can we help you? How can we make it so that, you know, it's a yummy partnership between product marketing and sales. Yeah. And that's an answer I've heard um, kind of echoed by, again, others who have made a similar change. So not surprising to hear that theme come through again. And you're right, as product marketers, a lot of what we do is enabling others, whether it's sales, whether it's success, whether it's support, whether it's the broader marketing org. So I think, you know, having that lens of what it's like to be in the, in the field just mm -hmm. makes that ability to enable the sales team that much easier. You're able to kind of empathize with that you know the the gaps in their knowledge or what they feel they need in the field to better close the deal to uh, to the point you were just making there. So I think that makes perfect sense. And yeah, thanks for sharing that. I again, it's something I've asked a number of former sales professionals who are uh, product marketers. So I, I appreciate that additional context. I think you pointed out something perfect there is empathy, right? I think sometimes we need a lot of empathy. We need empathy for sales. Sales is a really hard role, and you know. One of the things I always talk about is like, you know, as product marketers, if we need to, we can cram really fast. Like we, if we have a deadline, we can cram in sales. You can't really cram, like you can't cram all your deals at the end of the quarter. Right. Like, and so I think having that empathy and having that empathy for sales and having that partnership is huge. Yeah. And I think too, on that idea of closing deals, I think in product marketing, we're so used to most of the time things going our way, right? Like, you know, we tend to think of ourselves as well-educated in this space, but our customers, our internal stakeholders, the market. So when we're producing, whether it's enablement material, positioning and messaging guys, whatever that might be, we tend to feel fairly confident in what we're doing. But as a sales representative, there are situations where the deal just goes south for reasons out of your control. And product marketers aren't always exposed to those kinds of unexpected changes that might impact your day-to-day, -day, how you're feeling about your job, or just your, you know, your even core compensation. So again, having spent uh, time in sales myself, e even very briefly, I have a, 
another level of respect for sales professionals because there is that added pressure or that ability to kind of just accept that, hey, this didn't go the way that we had hoped, but move on. Where's the next deal? Let's keep pushing forward. So anybody uh, who finds themselves in product marketing today who gets that opportunity even to spend six months, nine months, even three months in sales, absolutely jump on that. Totally agree. Awesome. So let's get back to that shift from product marketing to competitive intelligence. And you did touch on this briefly in your intro, but what was it about competitive intelligence specifically that really made you take a step back and reflect and think I'm ready to kind of, you know, uh, temporarily put my marketing hat up, uh, hang up the the boots as it were, and and dive full, full on into competitive intelligence. The reason why I moved from product marketing to intelligence is really, um, I was looking at product competitive intelligence and it was a small section of my time, right? It was 10%, 20%, right? And that's why I'm a big proponent of you need dedicated CI professionals um, because the sales reps really wanted all that information. Actually, you know, when I was looking at all the parts of product marketing, the messaging, the positioning, differentiation, the sales reps were really focused on CI. They're like, hey, we need this. You know, marketing is so much more competitive. So I said, hey, I'm going to move fully to CI so that I can I can dedicate the majority of my time and I can actually show them the battle cards, the enablement sessions. And I can also help influence marketing, influence product in other ways as well. So that's why I took, I went from product marketing straight to CI. That's perfect. And I know that's a pain that I, I myself have felt in my career uh, in a couple of different places. Um, and I know other product marketers have felt as well is that kind of being pulled in a lot of different directions. And I think what a lot of organizations are realizing is that CI is so critical to their overall success. And you're seeing more and more dedicated CI roles come about because it's it's not feasible for a product marketer to do CI justice as just something that they're doing on the side of their desk, right? It's, it's such a, a, not necessarily complex, but it's such a, a deep area of focus for any org that it does really require a dedicated resource to do it effectively. Couldn't agree more. And actually, I think right now it's we're seeing that more because also customers have so much more knowledge too, right? They know so much more about differentiation and competitive landscapes and they make their buying decisions so quicker before they even talking to an organization. So a lot of their, a lot of their buying is already done. So they say, Hey, we know we want either a or B right now. Tell us why, like, and, and that's where competitive intelligence can be a huge impact. And so companies are seeing that they need to be show that competitive analysis really quickly. Yeah. And I think one of the value that having a dedicated CI resource does is, you know, a lot of organizations have realized the need for product marketing. And as such, a lot of how a company differentiates itself has kind of bubbled to the top of how a company brings itself to market, right? Like whether it's on their webpage, whether it's in enablement material, whether it's in content. But I think what that does is it, it, it does create a lot more noise that the buyer has to sift through because it's it's less, it's a little bit more marketing speak and marketing speak can yeah. sometimes be a little bit harder to navigate, especially if you're a buyer making a purchasing decision on a software or a service that you're just not super comfortable or confident or or knowledgeable in. So what I think CI does a great job of is, is cutting through that noise, especially for the internal teams to enable them to look at those different marketing pages and resources that maybe their potential buyers are sharing with them or pointing in the direction of and say, hey, I know this company is telling you X, Y, Z, but if you really break it down, they're yeah. actually saying ABC. And this is what we're saying in response to ABC. And this is why we feel we're saying that in a much more effective way. And we're going to be the better solution for you. Exactly. I think I think you hit it on point, right? You know, it's ABC versus D and F and also, also showing our strengths too, right? I'm really big in competitive intelligence. It's like, don't really talk too much about bad about the other company, but more talk about your strengths, talk about how you have that experience and have that knowledge. Because like 
they're always going to remember that, right? They're always going to remember that, oh, this company was talking about the strengths and showing me this areas, right? And if if they choose your product, that's amazing. And that's what we always want, but they might choose a competitor's product, but they're always going to remember certain things. So if they have problems with the competitor's product, they come back to you. We've seen that time and time again. Oh, for sure. And as someone who's made purchasing decisions in my career as a product marketer for product marketing oriented tools, I 100% agree with you. There are situations where I've had interactions with competitors, um, you know, each trying to win the business and the way that, you know, one potential solution approached the conversation and how they spoke about their competitor definitely turned me off from wanting to work with them in the future, um, which is unfortunate because to your point, buyers, they have long memories, right? Like they will remember those negative interactions or you know, if they feel as though they were the wrong way, it just makes them that much less willing to reconsider you, especially if their first decision didn't pan out the way that they wanted to. So I, I couldn't agree with you more there. So I want to jump to my next question here. And, you know, I've been fortunate to talk to a lot of CI professionals who were former product marketers, either just in my day to day or as part of this podcast, but I haven't spoken to too many directors of competitive intelligence. So I'm curious, what, what in your career so far has made you feel ready or, you know, capable of taking on that director level role and how that role might differ from someone who's just starting their CI, um, you know, professional journey. Yeah. I think it's a combination of things. One, I think it's like, if you're going to be in a leadership role in intelligence, you need to understand that you need to have executive sponsorship in intelligence. And, and I'm really, I'm really powerful about that. And luckily we have some great executives on Perva who understand competitive intelligence and understand the value of it, but it's, having that ability to show the executive, you know, this is what we're doing in pet intelligence. This is why we're doing this and having conversation with them about and turning that. One thing I always say is that everyone loves competitive intelligence. And that's the best and worst thing about pet intelligence, right? Everyone loves it. And so everyone wants to be a part of it. And that's also the worst thing because everyone wants a part of it. And everyone wants, Hey, we need to have competition on every product and every feature on every competitor. And so it's kind of helping. You have to kind of say no sometimes and kind of weed out the noise and say, hey, these are going to be our direct competitors and this is going to be our initiative and this is how we're going to go. And having that ability to explain that uh, quickly and easily is where you kind of get that uh, director and VP level of CI. And one thing I'm seeing right now is crazy is that more and more companies are investing in CI to the point where you're seeing, you know, directors and VPs and not at the uh, traditional companies where it was like Oracle or, you know, Salesforce. It's more, it's a much smaller company too, saying, hey, we really need to level up CI across the org. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. And, you know, I've definitely been in scenarios where conversations around competition have come up. And because there is no senior voice in the room, there is no real authoritative opinion on which competitors we should be focusing on, which we can can ignore. Because you're right, there's so much competition in really any B2B SaaS space or a lot of sectors beyond just B2B SaaS at this point. You can't possibly track everyone and everything at all times. It's impossible. So you know, having that, again, director or VP level perspective, someone who's been around the block, who's been in CI for a while, or even just is very knowledgeable in the space, allows anyone, not just within CI, but along the broader order to get real guidance and direction on who they should be paying attention about and where they should be focusing their efforts. Because there are going to be certain competitive situations where a competitor comes up and they're not a true competitor. The, the buyer might feel as though they are. And it's then becomes less about a conversation of, this is why we are the better option, or this is why you consider us versus them. Instead, the conversation becomes, well, we're not, we don't really offer the same things and we're not really 
competitors in the way that you might think. And this is why you should be thinking about a solution in this frame, as opposed to maybe what this other competitor has told you how to approach it. So it just changes the conversation. And again, having that director level or VP level voice really helps set the tone for how the company approaches those kinds of conversations and competitors in general. Absolutely. I think one of the things you point out is like there's certain areas where, you know, especially in cybersecurity, it's massively competitive and massively huge. So companies are like, oh, well, is this one of your competitors? And, like, and you can kind of help to also educate them to say, hey, this isn't actually competitive. This is more of a, a complement technology, right? We can work with them. We can actually work together with them. So it's kind of like showing that, hey, like there actually is a need for both in your organization. And so you may have this one, but you might also need this one as well. And so, you know, we can work together and actually have that complemental uh, view as well. Yeah, and even just beyond complementary services, I think there are a lot of sectors where there might be one or two dominant players that have a lot of brand awareness. So when a potential buyer starts thinking about solutions that are either directly related to what that competitor is offering or are exactly that you know offering itself, that brand awareness and kind of that market presence clouds their judgment in a way. And they make them think, well, if this is the number one player in the space, then they're probably the solution that I need. And they're going to be perfect for me because they're the dominant player. But you know, there are other players in the space that might actually be a better fit and might offer something that is slightly different or just be more catered to that specific buyer's segment better because the buyer hasn't yet self-identified which segment they themselves should be in, right? Are they enterprise? Are they SMB? Are they upmarket? Are they downmarket? The buyer doesn't always necessarily know that within the context of the solution space. So it's up for the CI professionals and product marketers to be able to and ready to educate the buyer on which solution makes the most sense for them. And, and, and that it's okay to not necessarily always go with the market leader because sometimes the market leader doesn't care about that specific buyer because it's not in their target segments. Yeah, or so some people are always, you know, hey, we're gonna ship to the cloud, so we're gonna put everything in our cloud, right? And it's like, well, you might need to have a different conversation about like, you know, multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, like there's different areas. And so it's kind of educating the buyers on what they need and how, how to help them. Absolutely. So my next question here is more about you know, whether it's starting a competitive intelligence program uh, from scratch or or taking on uh, a program that already exists in a more senior uh, position, how do you approach prioritizing what CI's effort and focus should be? I think we both chatted so far about how CI is a, is a big discipline, right? It can cover a lot of areas. It can be still enablement focus. It can be focused on, you know, pricing and packaging and the, and the relationship between how you approach that relative to your competitors. So there's a lot that a CI professional can do. How does someone at the director level kind of think through how to prioritize what that effort and focus should be? And how do you feel that might change depending on where the CI program is in its, in its maturity? And I'm thinking more so about ones that are just starting out. Yeah, so I've been in both. I've been in uh, mature organizations. I've been in places where you're uh, you know, building. And I think the first thing you need to look at is you need to say, okay, like, let's not boil the ocean. Like who are our top competitors? Right. I think sometimes people get really excited and like, Hey, we have so many different competitors out there and we need to have battle cards and every single one of them. And I'm like, and I always slow down. I'm like, Hey, usually you're competing around five to seven competitors, right. Or even less. Right. And so you, that's really are your, what I would call your tier one competitors. And I'd say when you're building a competitive intelligence program, or you're coming in to focus on them because 80% of the deals probably are going to be around those competitors. And so it's making sure that sales, sales engineers, and everyone in the org is really enabled on those tier one competitors, those very important ones. Um, and you can do this through a variety of ways, battle cards, messaging frameworks, presentations, um, but working together to make that happen. And then after, once you start to feel that, once even sales, got, sales reps are like, okay, Pat, I get it. I understand. We've talked about this better so many times. 
please stop talking about it better. I love that because that's what I mean. Like, okay, they're starting to understand it. That's when you can say, okay, now we need to be more, now we need to start looking into our tier two competitors. We need to start looking at you, maybe the geo Pacific competitors or the niche competitors of a certain area. And so I think sometimes we, a lot of times in competitive intelligence, we want to boil the ocean and we just need to get a step back and say, hey, who are we really competing against? And actually look at the data to see. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And we kind of touched on this earlier, how competitive most, you know, especially software spaces are these days and how there are competitors seemingly popping up every day. I mean, even here at Jobber, I get messages on Slack about a competitor that I've never heard of that was mentioned on the sales call or a respective company uh, or customer, excuse me, um, emailed about. And I think, again, starting from that place of here's our tier one, here's our tier tier two, and then maybe everybody else falls within a tier three and how we systematically approach each of those tiers and the types of resources that we would actually develop for each tier is a great way to set that focus and prioritization so that if a rep comes to you and says, hey, this competitor was mentioned in this deal, you can say, well, that's a tier three. I like, I'm not super worried. Maybe I can help you off, help you with this specific scenario this one time, but we're not going to go, you know, like you said, yeah. run off and develop battle cards and presentations and, and positioning and messaging frameworks for that competitor specifically. Yeah. I think one thing also is like ha having the ability to educate sales and educate individuals on like what it takes to build a battle card, what it takes to build, you know, frameworks, right? Like, Competitive intelligence, I feel like some people think competitive intelligence just gets picked out of the air and like put, puts into a battle card. It takes a whole, competitive intelligence, I always say is a triathlon because right when you finish that marathon and you still have a swim and a bike ride. And so it's like, it's always happening. It's always nailing and actually gathering good competitive intelligence is key because you want to make sure the worst thing that ever happened is to give a sales rep the wrong competitive intelligence, right? You never want them to actually say something in front of a customer where it makes them look it takes away their credibility. And so that's why I always say battle cards take a long time. You know, they take a long time because we want to get it right and we want to make sure it's correct. And then we also want to evolutionize and, you know, make analyze and say, how do we tweak this and make it better every time? I love that analogy of, you know, the triathlon of you start running and then, oh, wait, there's a swim and oh, wait, there's a bike, right? I've been in situations where we spent a lot of time just figuring out what the ideal battle card framework should be, right? So you spend several meetings, maybe over weeks, maybe over a quarter, just like really ideating on like, what is the information that our sales team actually wants in a battle card? Um, and there's a lot of different resources out there on kind of what a battle card can contain, but it's ultimately up to the CI pros in the room and the product marketers and the sales team to identify and define what that company's specific battle card is going to look like. Cause I think it's different depending what company company you're in. Obviously there's certain components that are pretty consistent, but it can change. Once you have the framework done and then the real project I think kicks off and it's like actually putting the information in the battle cards and that in and of itself can take again, weeks, months, quarters, depending on the number of battle cards you're producing and the type of information going in it and how easy it is to access the information you need to really do a good job. Um, so I, I agree. I think a lot of people who aren't in CI, aren't in sales, aren't in product marketing, they hear the word battle card and they think, oh, well, like you can get that done in like what, two weeks? It's like, no, that's probably going to take a lot of conversations, a lot of legwork, a lot of researching, a lot of deep thinking. Because it's not just a matter of, as you said, like pulling things out of the air, like going to a competitor's website and copying and pasting their headlines and taglines. Like that's not real competitive intelligence. Any Anybody across an org can do that. It's taking that, translating it into actionable insights that can actually be put in a battle card. So the battle card actually becomes useful. And to your point, uh, establishes that credibility for the sales rep when they're in those competitive conversations. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I think, I think also it's, it's, it's the credibility part, right? You need to have credibility. And that's the number one thing with sales is you have that credibility, you have to have that trust and you need that trust and you need to make sure that, you know, 
the battle cards are correct, the information's there. And, you know, we also have to realize that, you know, sometimes there might be pieces where we need to fix and, you know, it might be a mistake or might be a fail and that's okay. But you accept that, you take that on and then you fix it, change and move forward. Exactly. And, and two of the biggest learnings that I've had in my career around, you know, enabling material, and they seem really simple, but I think it took me a while to realize them is the power of having a last updated date on all your enablement material, right? Like something so simple as just letting people know, like, Hey, we haven't touched this since uh, last quarter, or this was updated this week. It's fresh. It's accurate. Like you can trust it. That goes a long way. Cause I think the last thing any sales rep on a call wants is to pull up a battle card or a piece of enablement material and be like, how, how old is this information? And it could actually dissuade someone from using it because again, they, they want to sound like they know what they're talking about. They want to have that credibility. So just having that date goes a long way. And then also just setting up a cadence to actually critically look back and update things. Um, you know, especially for product marketers, and we talked about this at the beginning, doing CI off the side of your desk, it can become very easy to create a piece of enablement material and forget about it and not touch it for two, three, four quarters, right? It, time moves very quickly in product marketing as does in CI. So setting yourself the reminders, whether it's you know in Slack, Asana, insert project management tool of your choosing to have those reminders in place that you don't forget because if if you forget, it looks like you don't care about the enabled material. And then again, it, it just makes the sales or the, the person using it feel like if you don't care, why should I care about it? Absolutely. I think also getting feedback too, right? You, you said, you said like, you know, making sure it's all, it's always correct, but I think also gathering feedback, having, you know, constant time conversation with sales reps and sales engineers and getting that feedback and saying, Hey, how's this working? How's this not working? Oh, I see you're one of the top reps using this battle card. What, what do you like about it? I, I also see you're one of the, the least reps use about car. What don't you like about it? Like getting um, positive and negative feedback is huge in competitiveness, right? Just getting feedback in general, I, I love. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So we we you know I think we just touched on some things that really help enablement be enablement material rather be as accurate and effective as it possibly can be. And I'm curious, once you have that accuracy and that effectiveness, how do you measure whether or not a piece of enablement is successful? Right. Um, now, as product marketers, we often struggle to identify the metrics that we can point at and say, hey, product marketing helped this metric move forward. And it, it was this specific body of work that did that. Because um, it sometimes can be challenging if you don't have the right tools or um, uh, yeah, tools and tracking in place to assess the effectiveness of positioning and messaging, for example. But within CI, I'm curious, how do you kind of overcome that metric of success um, problem or, or issue if it does arise. So I think, I think it's a combination of things, right? Like, you know, cause it's, it's both qualitative quantitative, right? And CI, right. There's quantitative stuff where you can actually, okay, you know, these battle cards have been downloaded this many times as utilization rates are, is this, we're looking at, you know, uh, people who are asking questions. We can see that from a quantitative, right. And then there's also the qualitative where we're talking to individuals and people are having conversations saying, Hey, you know, this battle card's great. Thank you so much. You know, we're seeing areas of, um, you know, people are saying, Hey, um, I need this. I need questions on this that you should point about her and they say it works well. Also, when we're doing win loss, we do a ton of win loss uh, areas and we can actually see, you know, when we're winning and losing. And, you know, if they have conversation and say, hey, the reps were very knowledgeable about this information or the reps weren't knowledgeable, you can find that way, too. So there's a lot of different pieces of information that we can use as competitive intelligence experts to take in and kind of formulate and say, you know, this battle card is really great or this battle card, you know, we need to tweak a little bit because some of the feedback is, you know, it's it's excellent, but it needs to be more technical or it needs to be more high level. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm curious for 
product marketers who are again doing CI off the side of their desk and they already feel like they're spread thin. Do you have any general advice for them when it comes to, you know, finding the time or building out like, you know, win loss programs or, or just, you know, approaching those conversations, especially if CI maybe represents, you know, five to 15, maybe at most 25% of their focus. Yeah. One thing that I've done in the past and uh, I'm starting to hear is uh, create SWAT te- competitive SWAT teams, uh, Tiger teams, but, um, teams that have individual competitors where you bring in experts across the organization and PM and sales and sales engineering and marketing to be part of those SWAT teams because that kind of helps to crowdsource the CI. You have other individuals who are there gathering information, helping to build that. And so you're kind of, you're kind of expanding your, your tool sets by using sales engineers and sales and product management to be part of that and to have ownership in that competitive intelligence. So then they can help, they can go out and kind of get information for you from their peers and bring it back. So it's kind of, that's one way I've all, I've done it. And, you know, I only have a little bit of time. I can help. I can use others to help me do my job. I love that. Actually, that's the first time I've ever heard that approach actually be used. Uh, so for any, anybody listening, you know, I, I love that idea of having competitor specific teams or maybe tier specific teams where like, Hey, this group of individuals, we're going to be exclusively focused on competitors, A, B, and C. And then this group's going to be focused on competitors, D, E, and F and so on and so forth. Um, and I, yeah, I like that idea of kind of like sharing the burden of, of competitive intelligence, but also still being super focused. You're not going to, you know, your partners in, in product or in sales or support and saying, Hey, we're going to meet once a month and we're going to talk about the competition. There's a lot of competitors you could include in that, right? And it, it's much like to the, to the earlier point of prioritization, each team should have a really, really tight focus on the competitors that they should be focusing on so that when they're having conversations or things come up, they can quickly say, oh, this competitor, that's actually one of the ones that I have to keep my eyes on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to store this somewhere or, oh, this competitor, that's actually one I don't have to care about. So I might, you know, ping someone who is on that team, but I'm not necessarily going to sweat this specific detail. So I love that approach. And I would encourage any product marketer who finds themselves, again, doing say outside of their desk to uh, to leverage that. I think it's great. Yes, it's been really helpful at other places. And it's been great because, you know, get people get ownership and they get excited and then they start talking about this better and they start answering questions. And it's almost like they're, they're little CI individuals themselves. And so it's kind of, it grows your CI team and kind of helps to do like a crowdsource of CI within your organization. Awesome. I love that. Well, listen, Pat, this has been great. You know, I really enjoy talking all things CI. It's an area within product marketing that I'm super passionate about as well. And, you know, I'm always happy to have CI experts on the show and I appreciate, you know, you coming on and, and adding you to my list of, of either current product marketers or former product marketers who are now, you know, experts in CI. Uh, so thank you for that. But before I let you go, I do want to ask my last question. And it's one I asked to all my guests now, granted, I'll change it ever so slightly uh, to fit your role. And that's, you know, if you could be a competitive intelligence leader at any company in the world for any product or service they offer, which solution would you choose and why? And if it's Imperva, absolutely okay. If it's not, also fantastic. I love Imperva. I mean, Imperva is great. It's a cybersecurity company and it's an excellent place to be. So I'm happy here. Uh, I think we're building something really uh, powerful, um, both on this. And so it really gets me excited to be here. So I think for right now, I'm happy to be here. And it's been it's been great. Awesome. Well, super happy to hear that. I'm sure your, your colleagues are as well. So yeah, like I said, this has been great, Pat. I'll let you go in just a second. But before I do, um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, maybe ask questions about your approach to CI, making the jump from product marketing to a more CI specific role, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? I would love it. Probably just LinkedIn, uh, Pat Wall at LinkedIn.com or LinkedIn. It'd be great. Um, you know, I love talking to people. I have I have chats almost every week with individuals who are looking to get in CI or just 
talking about CI. I'm, I'm a nerd about CI and also just product marketing in general. I love talking about product marketing because we touch so many different areas that um, please reach out. That's great. Yeah. And I'm sure people will take you up on that offer. And, you know, before we started chatting here, uh, you know, we we're chatting about uh, podcasts in general. I know you've been on a number of projects yourself. So if you like what Pat had to say today, absolutely reach him out, uh, reach out to him rather on LinkedIn, check out any number of podcasts that he's been a guest on. Um, and there's always good tidbits to be learned from Pat. So great resource to reach out to if you're looking for some more info. All right, Pat, I'll let you go. Thanks so much for everything. Take care. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. For everyone still tuned in. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are.